A lot of copywriters write web copy for their clients, which is pretty natural because so many of our clients need help with their websites. But what about writing copy for your own website? That's a bit trickier. In fact, we've talked with hundreds, and I'm not exaggerating that number, hundreds of copywriters who are perfectly comfortable writing web copy for their clients, but can't seem to get past the blank page when it comes to their own websites. You might be able to relate. Our guest for this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is Aaron Pennings. Aaron created a framework that makes the writing of web copy, that whole process, a lot easier, even when working on copy for our own businesses. And she shares that framework, plus some ideas about frameworks, live edits, and a whole lot more in our interview today. You'll want to stay tuned for this one. But before we get to Kira and me talking with Aaron, my co-host here to add a few thoughts in today's episode is Grace Baldwin. And Grace is a B2B SaaS copywriter, brand strategist who works to help B2B SaaS startups with niche solutions to big problems, helping them tell stories that connect with their audience. She's an awesome copywriter, has a great newsletter. Welcome, Grace. Hi, Rob. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. I am thrilled to have you here. We haven't talked in a little while, so it's just kind of good hanging out with you for a few minutes anyway. Nice to catch up. So before we dig into the episode, uh, we need to remind you this episode is sponsored by the Copywriter Club in Real Life. That's our in-person event. It's happening later next month, March 28th through the 30th in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, the room's really filling up. We only have about 200 uh, seats in the room. It can't be expanded. And uh, there are a lot of copywriters there that you're going to know, you may have heard of. People who are speaking include Mike Kim, Brian Spirinello, Bridget Lyon, Ash Chow, Linda Perry. We have uh, copywriters like Annie Bacher and Anna Hetzel who are organizing a fun run with free t-shirts. And I was just looking over the people who are actually just attending to attend and they include people like Sarah Griesenbach, Kevin Rogers, Rachel Mazza, Jen Robbins, Brittany McBean, Kim Schwalm, and even uh, Grace Baldwin. So uh, Yes, I'm want, super excited about it. I can't wait. If you want to hang out with all of these awesome people and about 170 others just like them, you can find the details and the link in the show notes uh, to this episode of the podcast. Make sure you don't miss out. It's going to be an awesome, awesome event. You really won't want to miss out. I went to the Not In Real Life event last year and it was a game changer. And so I'm so excited for actually meeting everybody in real life this year. So yeah, hope to see you there. It was it was really cool last year. Yeah. And last year had a lot of really good content, but we couldn't really do the one-to-one -one relationships and hanging out, you know, in the hallway or going, you know, to dinner together, all that stuff. And so we're thrilled to be back live doing it all over again. And uh, this will actually be the first time that I get to meet you in person, Grace, which would be really cool. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be kind of weird, but also very, I don't know, it's going to be very cool after a year of kind of meeting over Zoom to yeah, actually see what you look like in person. Exactly. Yeah. So again, check out the show notes for this episode. You can get your ticket. Um, there really are, are literally less than 10 VIP tickets left and uh, somewhere around 50 tickets to the um, event itself left. So if you've been thinking about it, jump on those because they are going to be gone soon. All right, Grace. So let's jump in and listen to our interview here with Aaron Pennings. I have been copywriting for longer than I ever realized. I had this 
picture in my head that copywriters were madmen style, you know, agency people from the 50s. And I didn't really for a long time understand that what I was doing in a lot of my jobs was copywriting. But um, from the time that I worked in Alaska tourism to global tourism, and then back into book marketing, it was all copywriting. It was all figuring out the right angle to get people to open emails, what made a good story, what people needed to believe in order to take action, whatever that action was. So when I went out on my own and hung my proverbial shingle almost three years ago, it was, okay, I'm going to do something with marketing, but what is it? And then I found copywriting. I'm like, hey, that's sort of what I've always done. And holy cow, I can bring skills that I've been honing for the last um, 15 plus years and really help people make money and build their business um, and make a difference in their business. So Aaron, did I hear you right? You said you worked in Alaska tourism? Yeah, I grew up in Alaska um, in a really small touristy town. We had a ski resort and that, I mean, that's the main, main business of the town was a ski resort in the winter and then in the summer was tourism. So it was this natural thing that my first several jobs all were in hospitality from running a gift shop and actually doing sales. And some of it was on high-end artwork and then working in high-end restaurants throughout college. So, and it kind of progressed from there. I've done everything from being the tour director on the front of the bus to promoting global tours. So now I want a tour. I want to hear, I want to hear the tour spiel. (laughs) I don't know if I can do that. It was really funny because I'd hop up on the front of the bus and it was like, I put on this person. It was still me, but it was, a different person than the person that you'd interact with on a day-to-day basis. So, I mean, we could talk about anything from where we're going that day to fun and weird stories. <laughs> so what do you miss the most about Alaska? Because I know, I know you are no longer there. What, what um, are some of the specifics that you miss? A lot of it. I miss the people. There's this unique independent spirit of, you know, everyone is mostly fine with people being who they are. And and I can't really quantify that with words. Like it's, it's a lot of you do you and that's cool. Um, I'm going to do me. And so there's something about that, that I have not found anywhere else that I've lived. And I've lived in some other places, but um, so that's number one, but number two is summers, man. You can't beat summers in Alaska with sun. Like, I don't know. I think it's, 20 hours a day when I grew up. It's it's strange that I don't even remember that, but it was light when you got up and it was light when you went to bed. And if you woke up in the middle of the night, it was also still light. Yeah. I I have sort of that Alaska experience when my wife and I were first married, she was running the midnight marathon, which they run in the middle of the night because you can. And I remember, I can't remember if it was a couple of days before, a couple of days after, but being it's the middle of the night. So we're asleep. We've got the blackout shades down because it's light outside and I can like, hear some hammering going on. And, uh, finally it's like, it's just like constant hammering uh, outside. And so I open up the window to look out and see what's going on. And there's some guy building a fence at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and, and, and my, we were staying with some cousins and they're like, Oh yeah, well, you know, when it's summertime, you got to take advantage of the light. So, you know, it's pretty, pretty normal behavior. I'm like one o'clock in the morning, you're the next door neighbor's building a fence crazy, crazy, but that has nothing to do with, with what you're talking about. So I'm, I'm really curious, Aaron, you know, you mentioned that you had been doing copywriting all along, but then, you know, as you decided to put out your own shingle, I'm curious, 
how did you start attracting clients? What was the thing that you did in order to not just say I'm a copywriter, but to actually get work? To be honest, I probably did everything wrong at, at first, but I didn't really know where to start. I talked with a couple people that I had known. Um, I took a course, but really it was all networking and Facebook groups. And I worked really hard. Like I spent a lot of time trying to build relationships, but it took time for that to build. And I still believe really strongly in the power of building that network. And it's a slower build, but it, I think it pays off bigger in the end. Um, but it was really all about having conversations with people and, Hey, what do you do? Oh, that's really interesting. How can I help? Or can I help? Or, Hey, you know, if you hear of anyone that's looking for someone like me, let me know. I'd love to have a conversation. And it, obviously paid off in the end. But for the first couple of months, it's like, all right, um, you know, people are not beating down my door, which was sort of what I'd hoped for. So Aaron, you said you were doing all the wrong things, although it actually sounds like you're doing some of the right things by networking. But what would you have done differently if you could go back um, three years ago? I think I would have connected with copywriters a whole lot sooner. I have this mindset block and that the only people I should be talking to were prospective clients or prospective partners. And I didn't really understand the value of having this network of people who have not only been doing the same things that I'm doing, I'm doing, but have had the same struggles. Um, and some of the best referral partners have ended up being copywriters, but more than that, it's something about having that community and bouncing ideas off of each other has been really, really, really powerful. So can I ask, you know, let's, let's get specific about what you did to start building that network. How were you reaching out to people or where were you finding people to connect with? So I found people in Facebook groups who are like, you know, I'm looking for a copywriter and I raise my hand, but then, you know, I'd be like the 15th or 20th or 35th person down. And so they, they might not get to me right away. So I'd say that was like the wrong thing instead of proactively going out and connecting with people who weren't looking for me yet, which I think would be more of the right thing. <laughs> People who are looking for maybe help writing a web or help creating a website, but not realizing they had the website copy as a project that they had to do first and that they had to wrap up first. In terms of the right things, I found a lot of people in Facebook groups. I found a lot of graphic designers. I found a, a lot of people on LinkedIn um, and had conversations with them about what they did. Can we get into those conversations? Because I think that's where some copywriters get lost too. It's like, okay, I know I need to network. I know I need to talk to these people, but how do I get them on a phone call? You know, what's, what's in it for them? Why would they even talk to me? Well, and that's interesting because a lot of people have this block. Okay. If someone's sending me a message or in on LinkedIn, sending me this connection request they're they just want to sell to me. And so part of it comes back to what do people need to believe? And they need to believe that you're not just out there to sell to them. You're not just out there to get something out of the deal. You actually want to help them. And it's, it's less about sales and it's more about how can I open a conversation with this person? And there's one gal who um, she's based in the UK and she's a social media strategist and I was like, whatever she was posting on social media, I can't even remember what it was, but it was so cool. And her profile was so well-written. I was like, hey, I really want to learn more about what you do. Would you be interested in hopping on, um, a, you know, having a conversation with me? I think this was like 2019 still at some point. 
And she was like, I guess. And she wouldn't give me her email address. She's like, just put the Zoom link in here. And I was like, that's fine. That's fine. So we sat down and we ended up talking for an hour about how she'd been a bartender and how that had led her to become a social media strategist. And I was like, well, that's really cool. And she's like, so you really aren't trying to sell me? And I was like, no, I really just want to learn more about what other people are doing. And hey, by the way, here's an idea I have that might be a solution for you. But the end goal um, in my head was always, yes, I would love to build my business. But more than anything, if there's a problem that I can help someone else solve, that is helpful to them and they're going to remember it. But it also makes me feel good knowing that I've, again, made that difference. Sarah, you've been doing this for three years. Has your approach changed since those first days? What have you done to, you know, to, to foster better connections or to connect with the right people that you weren't doing then? I think it's still about quantity. It's still about going out and having these conversations. And not everyone's going to be a good referral partner. Not everyone's going to want to hop on the phone either. But I find once I can actually speak to someone as opposed to just email communication and I, email or messaging is still really effective, I think. But once you can have that eye-to-eye communication and conversation and actually see people and make that, it's not really a physical connection. It can't be, it's through the computer, but it's the next best thing. You can see the whites of someone's eyes. People can tell when you're being sincere versus when you are really out there to just um, pay, pay lip service. Pay lip service, it's pay lip service. You know, they can tell when you legitimately want to help or when you legitimately just want to to connect with people. But that doesn't always come across via email. So the, the, the key is to, I think, ease into it. And it's like you'd walk up to someone that you're chatting in a grocery store. It's kind of that kind of approach. So can we go back now to, you know, the, the first projects that you started connecting with people on? What did those look like? Uh, you know, what did they involve and how much were you charging? My very first project was building a website for a friend because she needed help getting something out there. And I, I know enough to be dangerous, um, but it was fun. It was some good practice and a, a real good affirmation that no developing websites is not where I should put my, my interests. After that, though, I ended up working on blog projects for a photo booth company. And that was really fun because it was it leaned into the marketing and it was all marketing adjacent content. And so that was fun, but it was still blogs. And I write a lot of blogs still for people as part of like inbound funnels. But um, it's harder for me to make a living out of writing blogs than it is for me to write a, make a living out of doing some of the other pieces. So you mentioned uh, that you took your 15 years of professional experience and really honed it and figured out what your X factor is. Can you talk about that process that you went through and even just, you know, the ups and downs, because we know that process is not easy, but how you worked through it to figure out how you can best serve your clients and what you're most excited to do in your business. I started by making a list of all of the things that I like to do and all of the clients that I liked to do them for. And I started to draw some really clear parallels and it was all about copy that drove action, whatever the action was, whether it was clicking, whether it was buying, whether it was booking a conversation, whether it was even simply going back to something that they had written before. 
So that was thing one. And then what I really started to find out is that I really like to work with service-based businesses. And I know that's a really loaded term, but people who are doing what they do to make the world a better place, knowing that we all have to put a roof over our head, but who weren't in it specifically just for the profit, but who were in it to leave some kind of a lasting legacy and help their clients succeed. So that was how I started. And then I started to look a little bit more about the process and what that was. And Kira, you and Rob reflected a lot back to me when we we did this. And it's really that it's about kind of looking to the past and to their existing knowledge and their existing perspectives to position them as thought leaders so that um, my clients can authentically connect with their customers in a way that's both meaningful and impactful. So Aaron, how has knowing that X factor, having worked through that process changed your business? What's the practical impact of doing that? The practical impact has really been building a framework that is effective and it, it tells a story of, you know, here's where you come in and here's the process and here's where you either leave or find a new place to keep going. Let's talk more about your framework. So <laughs> how did you create the framework? Because I know, you know, we've, we've talked about your framework. I know you've um, had multiple versions of it. You've improved it over time. And how did you approach building a framework? What helped you? What maybe didn't help as much, especially for copywriters who might want to build their own? What advice would you give them? So when I first started, I the version that I started with was really a Venn diagram visual. And as I was talking with um, another copywriter, Nicole Morton, she's like, this is not exactly how it looks. It should look like an arrow. So I, I went back and I was thinking about it more and looking at all the ways that I like working with people, that I want to help people, um, other business owners. And I thought back to my brand, which is Copy Snacks. And it's all about you know, turning my clients into the ultimate snack to their customers, which is, you know, something that you keep reaching for. And I said, reach. So what are the steps that I I do for people? What are the steps that serve as the building blocks for people getting visibility? And how does that affect the way that they show up in the marketplace and are then drawing business in? So I created the reach visibility trajectory. And it, it starts with, the building blocks, which are research, positioning and messaging and website copy, so that you can then go create funnels and create hooks and a 90 day marketing plan so that you can increase authority, increase visibility and increase sales as you go. And it's, it makes a lot more sense when you see it visually. And of course, I'm looking at it while I'm talking to you. But it was all about how I could find ways to make people make businesses, make business owners more irresistible, set them up as the ultimate snack or the ultimate authority so that their clients see them not just as a viable option, but as the best, the best option out there. And now that you have this framework in your business, how, how has it helped you so far internally? Um, Just knowing that you have this framework, has it made any type of impact in your business? it's helped me get a lot clearer on how I serve people and the packages and the ways that I am positioning myself. Basically I'm using the reach trajectory or the reach visibility trajectory in my own business to start with. Is my market research on point? 
is my positioning? Are my packages on point? Is my website copy on point? And so that's really what I'm working on right now is making sure that all of that ties together so that as I'm building authority and as I'm building visibility, people in turn see me as, as again, not just a viable solution, but a really, really good option. And hopefully one day the option, right? Yeah, that's always a, a good step. And so in addition to the framework, in addition to figuring out your X factor, what else have you done in your business to start to set yourself apart and to you know do something a little bit differently from what you were doing, say, three years ago? I've gotten website copy down to, I don't want to say to a science because there is so many variables that go into it. You can't say, you know, if this happened, if, if X, then Y, but what I have built is a really powerful framework. And, you know, it's hard to stand out sometimes when there's over 130,000 copywriters in the U S not to mention everywhere else in the world. So, you know, and I, I have thought about this and I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, like, how can I stand out when there are so many people who are doing what I'm doing and you can look up and say, Oh, okay, here's, you know, the basic fundamentals of of web copy. So what I've done is created the system to get website copy done in a week for people who are ready. And that means that they've got to have their positioning, their research, they've got to be really ready to have like all their ducks in a row so that we can translate what's in their head onto their website in a way that is meaningful to their clients. But because I've systematized this so well, I've started to teach it as a course and a way for other copywriters. And it wasn't, it wasn't initially copywriters that I was marketing this course to. Let's break it down. If you're open to breaking it down. So I, I'm, I want to hear the system. Can you break it down into a couple of steps. If we're struggling to write website copy for a client, uh, maybe we don't typically work on website projects. Um, How can we break it down so it's a little bit easier? Before we start, I chat with them. I see where they are, how well they know their business, how well they know who they serve, and more importantly, how they serve them, how they deliver. And then I ask them to bring to our kickoff call, which we set for a specific date, all of their customer reviews and testimonials, answers to a questionnaire that digs into the ins and the outs of their business. And then on that kickoff call, we run through that um, verbatim, almost to the point of (laughs) going overly in depth, because I'd rather have more information than not enough. And if I can ask some probing questions, a lot of times by listening to how clients are talking about things, I can get a I don't want to say a head start in the website copy, but I can hear what matters to them. And then I can go back and compare it to testimonials and reviews and see what what about that matters to their clients. From there, we focus on SEO research and uh, (laughs) digging in and mining those reviews and testimonials just for some key phrases and words. And if I have any inspiration, usually it comes like at five in the morning when I'm in the shower or something ridiculous. Um, not that I'm usually up at five, but I jot it all down and I compile the research and then I don't look at it again until the following week, which is when I sit down and I spend three days writing their website and it's an iterative process. And I've built some, I call them templates, but they're not really templates because it all shifts based on what people need to read, what needs to be on the website copy. 
Um, but there's some formulas that I use to say, okay, this is what needs to go here. Here's the hero section. Okay, what do we need to believe? What makes it a good transition to the next section? Um, what is the one promise that I that people want to make? What is that big promise? Like I said, it's an iterative process, but it all flows together really well. So I try to at least map out the content blocks for each area, even if I'm not writing the copy just yet for every page on the site. And then I go back in and fill it in with transcriptions from our kickoff call, looking back at the testimonials and looking at any materials that they've given me about what they serve, including, you know, who they see as competitors and if I can see who's doing a really good job in their space. So three days, we write the website copy. I present it um, the fourth day. And then depending on their availability to go through it and leave some really good feedback, um, we either have that live review call the following day or the following week to run through edits in person. And what I've found is that doing these edits on a live review is far more effective for most of my clients than trying to go back and forth with round after round of comments. Because the reason they're coming to me is either they don't have time to write it, or they have no idea how to write it in a way that is strategic, but also, um, you know, a lot of t- people who hire me aren't writers. So if they can talk through, they might say, leave a comment that's something like, I don't like this. And as much as I coach people to to give me concise feedback or say what they don't like about it, it's much easier to talk through, but they can go through the Google documents and say, okay, this is what I really like. Not so sure about this. Let's talk through this. And then that serves as the guide for our live review call. And a lot of times after that conversation, they're ready to go and hand this copy off to their clients. Sometimes we need another round or two, just depending on how extensive it is. But generally speaking, we just need that one round of edits. So in the space of less than maybe two total weeks from kickoff to finish, they've got a finished product. The idea of live edits just like sets my back teeth on edge. Like I can't even imagine doing that with my clients. So I'm impressed that you can pull that off, Aaron. But it's, you know, what's interesting, Rob, is that's my favorite way to do it. It's it's so funny how personal preference comes in. It's crazy. But I've also found that if I don't corral people sometimes and sit them down on a phone call, that it can be hurting cats to get those edits and to keep the project moving along. And then if they are coming back like two, three, four weeks later, my brain is in a different space. So I have to, it's like, I have to take off my one website skin and put it on different client skin on. It sounds really like <laughs> uh, Hannibal Lectory, but it, it's harder to get back into that space if it's not done like right at the same time for these intensives anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. So two really quick questions about this. What do you charge for a typical project? The typical projects, um, there's, there's nothing typical as it turns out, but um, right now it's about $5,000 for website copy done in a week. I do have a longer package that's more intense uh, or less intensive and that spreads out over 10 weeks that has a few more deliverables along the way. But if people are looking for effective web copy done quickly, it's it right now it's, it's about $5,000. Yeah. I think the week turnaround is awesome. And then another um, question, I think you have a checklist that you follow as you're going through this whole process. Is that right? And how do you use that? So um, 
though the website checklist is really the the process that I use to audit existing sites. So I have two pieces of this document. One is here's these 10 points that you should be evaluating your site with. If it's doing these well, you should be able to get a score of, you know, 90 to 100. If you're not doing it so well, if you're under 50, then it's probably time to come back and look through this. So yes, all of the copy that I do has to run through that and it has to get a really high score on the checklist at the end, but it's not a, it's not something that I follow necessarily on a step-by-step basis. All right. So let's jump in here and just talk a little bit about some of the things that Aaron has been sharing with Kira and me. Grace, I'm going to let you start. What stood out to you from this first half of the interview? Yeah, something that stood out to me and that Aaron said that really resonated with me was connecting with other people. And I can say from experience, Aaron is super generous with her time. Uh, you know, we overlapped in Think Tank. And uh, yeah, she's really, I can, she proactively reaches out and offers help. And she's very genuine in offering that help. And I, yeah, it's something that makes a big difference. And if you're not actively, of course, you want to sell things. Um, but helping people is more important. And so that was something that stood out to me. And yeah, I I found that social media is a really great place to connect with others and just be kind and help people out. And I think Aaron really embodies that. Yeah, I agree. You know, we have so many people that we talk to on a weekly basis, you know, whether they're in the underground or the accelerator or even people just in the free Facebook group and their biggest challenge is finding clients. And uh, you know, what, how do I find a client? You know, who can I pitch that kind of thing? And I know it's a little bit of a long game to say this, but networking, making connections, building friendships is the very best way to find clients. It's the way that, uh, you know, I, I used my network to find my first clients when I started freelancing it. Uh, once I started connecting with copywriters, uh, you know, literally I've had leads that have added more than six figures to my business from other copywriters. It is still the best way to find clients um, especially connecting with other copywriters, but it doesn't always deliver that client next week, right? So sometimes we need to think about our approach to this. If you're desperate for a client, yeah, keep networking, keep doing those things because the, it will produce clients down the line. You may have to do something a uh, you know, little bit uh, harder core to find somebody if you're desperate for next week. But like what Aaron was saying, you know, when we ask about the pitch, it's really about what does the person on the other side need to know, need to believe. And when you make that connection, it's like, how can I serve you? What can I do to help you? The connection has to come first. It's the pitch is really the last part of, of that relationship connection building thing. Exactly. Yeah. It's really about providing a service and yeah, helping people build their businesses and yeah, support their dreams. And Aaron is, I think, again, a class A example of that. Um, but yeah, it, it won't necessarily, and connecting with other copywriters is an amazing way to earn clients. It's a way that I've earned clients too. Um, but yeah, you're right. It won't necessarily result in a sale tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow. Yeah, for sure. And I know I'm, I'm at the risk of being too promotional now about 
TCC IRL, but the very best way to connect with copywriters is in person, getting to know them, hanging out with them, joking around, seeing them. And uh, so I'll just drop in another reminder to check the show notes for this episode so you can get your ticket to join us in Nashville. And uh, if you can't do that, make sure you're connecting with copywriters, with other service providers, with the people in your network regularly so you keep those relationships fresh. Yeah. And I mean, to also at the risk of maybe sounding promotional, but the, the entire community of TCC is so supportive and there's there's more leads than people know what to do with. And people are always reaching out and saying, hey, I'm looking for somebody. Can you, you know, can somebody help me out here? And it's a very friendly community for, yeah, finding work and finding the next client and building up your brand and your relationships too. Yeah, that's thanks for saying that. So another thing that kind of jumped out at me as I was listening to listening back to what we were asking Erin about is just the process that she went through for finding her X factor. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, Grace, you've gone through this process really in depth. And I thought it might be kind of fun to juxtapose how Erin's gone through the process and what you've done as you've gone through the process and your experience thinking about your X factor. So, you know, will you talk a little bit about how you work through yours? Yeah. So finding your X factor is something that's so important for your business. And I know it's, again, having that overlap with Erin in the think tank, I was able to see her kind of go through this transition a little bit. And yeah, I mean, it's made a big difference in terms of how I build my brand too. The best way to really do it, yeah, is to think about what, how you deliver value and what that value is, how it's unique in the eye of your customer. Um, and I think Erin has done that really well. And I know that her target audience is people who, you know, they have offline businesses and she, they're trying to come online. And she was able to figure out how she can do that and leverage her, you know, years of experience in a way that really serves that customer market really well. Yeah, I agree. You know, as I think about the process of figuring out an X factor, it, I, I've thought about how other people talk about, oh, you've got to find a niche. And they, they oftentimes say, you know, the way that you find a niche is you find something that you're passionate about. Um, maybe it's something that uh, you know something about as well. And it's something that you can get paid to do. And to me, that just feels like such a small part of really dialing in your X factor. You know, it really comes down to the talent stack that you have, your experience, your credentials, the work that you do. It's not just, you know, something that you know something about or that you're passionate about. In fact, for a lot of people, they choose a niche that they're not necessarily passionate about, but they know they can solve a problem for a client. And that's a really big thing. It's like, if you're not solving a real problem that clients who have money have, then it's not going to be a successful niche. And you, you probably aren't going to be the number one copywriter in the world. There's only one person who can be that. You're probably not going to be the only, or the number one person who knows something about nutrition or coaching or you know, finance or whatever the, the things are. But when you start to line up all the various experiences that we have, you can be the number one person that has your combination of maybe it's industry, maybe it's deliverable, maybe it's the kind of person that you work with, it's your credentials, it's what you know about, it's the problems that you can solve. And as you start to line all of that stuff up, you can become the very best person that does that thing. And that's what really drives demand. And I, I think Aaron uh, and you and a lot of others who have really figured out their X factor, that's what they're doing. And it's a, a process that can really 
pay dividends when it comes to connecting with customers and clients that you can really help. Yeah, exactly. And I think that you said it a lot better than I was. what I was trying to say is it's really about finding the unique mix of things that you have and that your unique perspective that you can bring to the table to your customers, to your clients, to the yeah, the larger market segment that you're targeting, right? And yeah, it's about it's about what value you can bring to the person and how you do it. And you know, you don't need to be the best. Like you said, you don't need to only one person can be number one, right? But you need to be the best in what you can provide. And yeah, that's that's what your X factor is. It's thinking smaller than you think than uh, thinking too big. Exactly. Yeah. And and that perfect combination. And then as you know, Erin went on to talk a little bit about her reach framework, which I think is a really great idea. Frameworks, you know, I know you've thought a lot about frameworks because you've built some trainings that you've done and you've used frameworks in your own uh, work and in your own business. But frameworks are the are the they're almost like the ideas that help us sell our ideas. And I love her framework and the way that it helps define the process for writing web content. Yeah, absolutely. And I can say, you know, having also, you know, worked client side, if you have a framework, if you're able to say, okay, I have this framework, it's a repeatable process, like I'm under, I'm in control, that gives clients a lot of confidence in your ability to actually get the job done. And so that's one benefit of frameworks. The other benefit too, and is that it kind of helps you build your story and build recognition around what you do. So I know for myself, I kind of created this framework around storytelling. And then all of a sudden I started getting things, you know, I started getting speaking opportunities. Like I spoke for the B2B Writing Institute about storytelling and it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't kind of hung my hat on something and then use that, use that as leverage to earn more opportunities. Yeah, that's smart. That's really smart. The last Thing. It's actually maybe a combination of a couple of things that I want to point out from the first half of this interview. Um, Aaron talks about doing live edits, which I, I mentioned there's no way I could do it. Uh, but there are people that we've talked to who do them really well. And so you might want to listen back to other episodes of the podcast. Kristen McIntyre, Laura Belgrade, they love these kinds of getting on the call with clients. But seriously, it just it makes me want to hide. Uh, me too. Grace. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> when I heard that, I thought, oh my God, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> and yeah. And, yeah. As someone, you know, I need a lot of space and time to kind of think and breathe. And I'm not very good at coming up with copy on the spot. So, I mean, hats off to anybody who can do that. Yeah. I'm the same way. And I mean, even if I get an idea, you know, really quickly, I want to take the time to just massage it and make sure that it fits. And should it be, you know, a quote or should it be a line or can I, you know, emphasize the verb in a different way? And that's just so hard for me to do on a live edit because I feel like I've got to show up and the copy's got to be right. And so, yeah, my hat's off to, to Aaron to be able to do that. I think maybe the fact that she uses a checklist and she mentioned her checklist actually helps to do that because you can go through the formula and say, okay, does it meet this thing and this thing and this thing? And so I suppose if you're going to do live edits or live writing with a client, it probably helps to have a checklist. Yeah. And if you can share that checklist with your client too, then again, that's going back to what I was saying about having this framework. It gives a lot of confidence to the client. If you can say, all right, we're going to go through this copy. We're going to go through this checklist and we're going to talk about it together and whether or not we're checking all these boxes. I think that's a pretty brilliant idea, actually, to to have, because, again, it's all about showing process, showing confidence and showing that you kind of 
done it before, you know what to look for. Yeah, I agree. All right, so let's go back to our interview and see how Aaron sets up for live edits. Let's get granular with the live review edits because I'm like Rob. I don't typically do that, but I'm open. So <laughs> what what advice would you give to someone who doesn't typically run those live review edits? What should we do? What should we not do? So the way that I set this up is I send a loom overview of the copy and the strategy as I'm handing the, the copy over. I don't need to, we don't need to be on a live call to do that. And in fact, what I've found is when I'm presenting it live, we end up with a way more all over the place kind of a conversation than if we present it via Loom to start with. So what that means is that people are reviewing it in total at, on their own time, kind of marinating on it. Um, obviously with a short turn, they have a shorter, shorter time to marinate. But then they can make comments in that Google document and say, here's what I like, here's what I don't like. And they can go back and say, oh, I see why you did this now that I've rewatched the Loom video. And so from there, hopping on the live edits is really a matter of, you know, opening the conversation with what is your overall impression? And, you know, every once in a while I miss the mark on something and it needs to go a little bit longer. But most of the time, because we've had this kickoff call, we've had these conversations about what matters to them and what matters to their clients, and it's been backed up by the reviews, most of the time we're really, really close. So we talk about the decisions a little bit and why, and I give them the power to say, hey, I don't like this, and here's why. And by understanding what they don't like and why, I can either respond to that and say, oh, okay, got it, let's go back to the drawing board, or I can talk to them a little bit more about what their roadblock is and either talk through it with them or, um, you know, make a, a quick edit. And then they can see what it looks like live. And it, it's not live in a website, you know, it's just the Google document, but I build them almost like wireframes so that they can say, oh, okay, an image goes here. I got it. I understand a little bit more about the layout and why you made these decisions. And then most of the conversation ends up being about word choice. Yeah, that, that's smart the way you present it. So we've talked about, you know, your X factor, your framework, the process that you've got for developing a website in a really short period of time, which I think is really amazing. Um, and, we, you know, we started out by talking about how you, you know, initially connected with your first clients. What else have you done to grow your business that um, or maybe you know, other, other things that you've, you've created or things that you've done in order to attract clients, what else are we missing? I, a lot of it just really being visible on social media, um, you know, which is kind of an awkward conversation to have not that long after, um, Facebook and Instagram were down for, um, like not just down, down, but they were like gone for, um, hours, but a lot of it's getting out there and, even if I'm not able to have as many one-on-one um, -on -one conversations, at least starting conversations with people on social media, showing up in a way that's dropping some truth nuggets for people to say, ah, I've never looked at it that way. You know, I've, I've worked to build my email list too. It's been a slow and iterative, is my word of the day, but it's been a slow and iterative process. Let's, Erin, let's talk about your transition and how you've changed your business recently from focusing on done-for-you services to introducing your new group program. 
Yes. How how did that transition go for you and what helped? Um, what, what did you struggle with along the way? So my biggest struggle along the way was feeling like I was an authority on this, which, you know, is crazy because I would tell anyone else, of course you are, you've been doing this for a while. You have things of value to teach someone. But part of that is there's always been a more experty expert along the way. And it's a mindset block, I think more than anything, because you don't have to be the biggest expert in the world to make a really significant impact on other people. So I first launched um, my website copy intensive course in February and it just wasn't coming together. Right. So I put on the brakes and then I joined um, think tank in when did I join? It was May. Oh my gosh, we're already six months in. This is crazy. Um, so I joined Think Tank and Tamara said, what are you waiting for? Just do it. And I, I just needed that. I needed someone to give me this like, kick in the pants to say, what are, what's holding you back? So realistically, the only thing holding me back was me. Um, I launched the beta course in August and it went really, really well. Um, I believed in the product before. I believed in the course, which is a 21-day website copy intensive. I call it Womp Womp to Wow because you take your uh, DIY website copy from meh, it's okay, to something that is really effective. Um, and better yet, it's done. Like starting and finishing a project is really hard when it's in each of our own businesses. But what's interesting is I had seen the course as like an entry-level path for people who needed a better website but who couldn't maybe afford to hire a copywriter. I saw it as an entry-level path for them to work with me and to help them. What I ended up coming out of it is that this is a really good opportunity for copywriters, um, coaches, and some, some creatives like web designers or developers who maybe are pretty decent writers, but don't really either know how to start it or know they're a great writer, so they've got to nail it because this is the space that they're in. Or, you know, any of these other mindset blocks that leave them staring at the computer screen and saying, no, I'm going to work on something else today. And so instead of getting their website copy done, it just kind of marinates out there, you know, up in the other in their brains and, and never finishes. So I had never seen myself as teaching other copywriters. But what came out of it is that this is a really good opportunity for them to learn not just the strategy, but to get the accountability to get it done. Because if we have 21 days, that means you've got to commit to doing it. Yeah, I, I love the the timeline, the deadline uh, on that to make it work. So after you built this, after you put it together, how did you launch it out into the world so that you got it in front of the right people? A big part of it was just talking to my network. Um, and saying, hey, this is something that I've got going. And with with the beta version, it was, you know, it was a really entry-level price. And it was an opportunity for people to try it out, to be in on it, to give feedback. And so I had 12 people from my network. In, well, mostly, mostly from my network. There were a couple of people that I hadn't met prior to them signing up, which was really cool because it was like, how did you find me? And so this round, I'm being a little bit more proactive. Um, and in future rounds with connecting with copywriters, connecting with other creatives. And the word creative is so, so wide ranging. But, um, and a lot of people who we might consider creative as, as we learned, don't necessarily consider th- themselves creative. So that was a really interesting revelation. But um, getting in front of them, getting them on my mailing list, and then really working out with the email and the social content and some of the ads. 
So I'm wondering, because you've worked so closely with copywriters on their websites, what are some mistakes you see frequently on their websites? I think the biggest thing for copywriters isn't what they end up putting out. It is, you know, we all obsess with words. And since it's what we do, people, we worry. Like, I mean, and I did it too. It took me six months to publish my website copy. And then I immediately changed it um, as soon as it was published. So I think it's it's a mindset block as much as anything. Like, um, if I don't start this, if it's not 100% perfect, I'm a failure. And so part of it's changing that around. And it's like, here's a starting point massage it and play with it and try putting it out into the world because you can test it. I think that's one of the hardest parts is not feeling confident enough to just try something, to give it a shot. You know, as copywriters, we tend to be really good at writing headlines for other people, but um, understanding what our clients need to hear and see is, is challenging. What is the end result that we're promising? And so that takes a lot of thinking And sometimes it takes bouncing ideas off of other people. And I think that's the other really awesome thing about Womp Womp to Wow is you can get people in a room together for 60 minutes a week and say, hey, what do you think about this idea? And, you know, I don't always write the greatest headlines, but hearing what other people are saying, there's a really good opportunity for feedback. And it's, um, you know, a mini brain trust. So Aaron, I noticed you did something last week, at least it's last week as we're talking by the time the podcast releases, it'll be a few weeks ago, but did something interesting on LinkedIn last week as uh, a a tool, I think, to build your list. Will you tell us a little bit about what you did and uh, what has happened with that so far? So actually after the think tank retreat um, that we all were in on, Chris Orzakowski came in and was talking about what he does for lead gen and then moving to a more product and course-based business. And he said, one of the things he does to test things was to just put content out on social media. I think he used Facebook and he's like, Hey, I'm working on this thing. If you're interested in it, you know, let me know and I'll make sure to get you a copy. And he hasn't actually written the thing yet. So I was like, cool. I've had this idea for how, you know, people can use what they're doing right now to get more leads. And it's all about building in public, which I'm not good for doing myself necessarily. I tend to hold things in, but I'm working on it. And so that was what this post was. I said, I'm putting the finishing touches on a guide that lines out my four steps on, you know, um, working with your the projects that you're working on right now, or even past projects to get new leads, who wants in? And a ton of people chimed in. And so then because I did it on LinkedIn, the lesson is you have to connect with people in order to get their email address and send messages. Whereas Twitter is more of um, more DM friendly, I'd say, but uh, it was really interesting. The responses that I got people who I already had in my network who are like, this is amazing. I need to do this or who have said, what you put out, I always love, which you know always makes me feel good. But um, I got some really interesting new people and new connections. Um, and we ended up having some really cool conversations. I don't want to say offline because it's all offline, but in private, in direct messages. Um, and simultaneously, I was able to grow my mailing list that way. I want to just pivot here and talk a little bit about boundaries and living a good life and ask you, how are you building your 
business around your life? Are there any things that you're doing right now proactively to, to focus on that? Boundaries are always a hard topic for me because I really like saying yes to people. I have a hard time saying no, but one of the things that, you know, my work day, most of the time is nine to three. It's when my kids are in school. Because otherwise, I find it very hard to step away if I don't say, you know what, I'm closing down now. And occasionally I work other hours as well, just, you know, I get behind because I procrastinate or, or I say yes to too many things. But for the most part, I try to keep work and life separate. I've tried to implement a three hour block Friday afternoons for CEO time. Um, but I've also started taking more vacation time. Um, and it's not really vacation time because, you know, it's, I'm still at the point in my business where if I don't work, I don't pay myself. But like we we just took off for two weeks this summer. We took a long weekend over Labor Day. And then this weekend, my kids are off for five days. So I'm not working for five days. And I also just booked tickets with my best friend to meet up. She's um, She has an expo to go to in Dallas. So we're going to go down and we're just going to get a hotel and hang out by the pool for three days before Thanksgiving. So I'm trying to do more of that. So more of the fun stuff and blocking out and saying, you know what? I'm not taking any more work this month. My next availability is this date. Does that work for you? And if someone says no, the hardest thing for me to do is to say, okay, well, maybe I can introduce you to someone else. Because I, again, I hate to say no to people, but otherwise I'm not the only one that loses. My family also loses because we're not spending that time together. So tell us more about CEO time. How do you use those three hours in order to you know, think about your business or improve things, build things, whatever that is? Well, ideally, I am being a little bit more strategic and planning for the future. Lately, it's been a little bit more about figuring out what systems, how I want to scale things, which I guess is still strategic, but also sometimes doing the work for my own business and my setting aside that time to do my own marketing. I don't have any set rules for what it is, except that there's uh, no client work during that time unless I am absolutely under the gun. Erin, I'd love to hear about your vision for your business. It sounds like it sounds like you're in control and you're you know you've got this momentum and you're building this incredible business. How do you look forward and what what do you see as you look forward? It's like the future is murky. <laughs> Crystal ball is a little cloudy right now. Um, what I would really, really like is to have a business that in large part runs itself, that I still oversee most of the strategic direction, but that I can step out um, so that I can take time to go do things and so that I can pay myself vacation time, essentially, to go do things with my family. But I want something that's sustainable and I see it coming from a variety of pieces. There will always be a done for you component. There will always be a strategic component for for clients, but I see doing a lot more group programs and even some products and maybe a membership coming down the pike, ways that I can help more people at once without blocking, you know, nine hours a day of back to back to back to back to back calls. Because that gets, as you both know, that gets really taxing on your mental, or my, my mental capacity anyway, and my ability to to speak coherently, um, not to mention to really be present with my family, which is something that I, you know, my business took off during the pandemic and I really wasn't sure when the flood, what is it? The flood pipes, the pipe flood, the, 
<laughs> the floodgates. That's what it is. I wasn't sure when the floodgates would close. So I said yes to everything. Um, I mean, you may be hearing a pattern here. Um, but finally, I realized that I wasn't spending any time with my kids. And they were actually home because it was a pandemic. So, you know, I, I want to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And I want to show them the possibility of what working for themselves can be, if that's a path that is right for them. But I also want to show them what healthy work-life boundaries are and that there's stuff to go do and the power of being able to go do whatever those things are that really matter to you. So Aaron, you've been sharing a ton of great advice, lots of really good experience. I want to ask a question that's maybe a little selfish for us. And that is, you know, we mentioned you're in the think tank, uh, been there for the last six months or so. Tell us about your experience there and if it's made a difference in your business. So I'm actually going to go back further in time. Um, I had just made my first profit. Like I was finally getting ready to pay myself and not just pay myself back for purchases for my business. And I found you guys, it was August, 2019 and accelerator was just about to open up. And I said, what the heck? <laughs> Instead of paying myself, let me do the accelerator. And that was the first best thing um, that I've done for my business. Cause it helped me find that network of copywriters and understand the value of connecting with people who understood what I was going through. And I knew when the accelerator ended that I wasn't quite ready for think tank yet, but it was always something that I wanted to do. I just wasn't sure of the timing. And I think we talked a couple times over that next year, year and a half about, oh, is it the right time? Is it not the right time? I'm not sure. And then um, after TCC and IRL, which is, that's really hard for me to say to with that and, um, it was like, I think it is. I think it's the right time because I just had that revelation that I may have had my best month ever, March of 2021, but I was also working 80 hours a week to get all the stuff done. And this was not how I wanted to live. So I came into Think Tank because I wanted to build this pipeline. I wanted to create products and courses. And I wanted to, I wasn't even sure what the next thing was, um, but I wanted to feel more in control of things, which is a work in progress. But Brittany McBean gave me the advice. She said, if you are even thinking about it a little bit, just do it. And I'm so glad I did. That first month was super overwhelming, but... Um, I got so much progress made and I realized that the progress that I thought I needed to make, I actually needed to put some other building blocks in place before I could see that. Like I wasn't quite ready to build a framework because I actually needed to get my X factor a little bit tighter again. Um, and then as I played with it, it was like, ah, right on. This is where I need to be. Um, so I think just having the ground support people who are yeah, both, you know, where, we, where I am in, in many, in the agent phase of my life, um, so to speak, but, or of my business, but also people who are going to be encouraging, supportive and say, Hey, have you considered this? And sometimes it's, it's like gentle, tough love, which is what I need to say, okay, just do it. Here's what you need to do. And we bounce ideas off of each other. And that's, really, 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 really valuable. And Robin Kira, having that one-on-one -on -one time with the two of you or two-on-one -on -one time is irreplaceable. But I think this community is a second key, key valuable point. Um, I'm already <laughs> talking with um, a gal who's leaving. I think she has one more month left. And she's like, I'm kind of in panic mode. Like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, I'm already in panic mode. No, <laughs> 
way through. Like, maybe I want to stick around forever. <laughs> you can stick around forever. You can, can stick around forever. Um, and I, I appreciate you sharing that, Erin. And we are grateful to have worked with you in the accelerator and then also in the think tank now and to have more time with you. And I'm just so excited to hear that you have set those boundaries and you're working, you know, from nine to three and uh, spending more time with your kids because I know, I know how challenging that can be. And so I love hearing that. And for our listeners who want to connect with you or maybe want to jump into the website program so they can write their website copy in 21 days, where should they go to connect with you? All paths sort of lead to AaronPennings.com, which is my website. Um, from there, you can find me on social. You can get my checklist on your website copy checkup. You can join Womp Womp to Wow. Um, and I would absolutely love to connect with certainly anyone who's listening. I'd love to connect with new people and get to know them. But, um, you know, if you have any questions on any of the projects or programs, definitely let me know. That's the end of our interview with Aaron Pennings. Before we wrap up, let's, as we do, let's mention just a few more things that stood out to us. We left off talking about the live editing process. And I do think that it's um, something that we should point out. And I really, when I heard Aaron talk about this, I thought, okay, this is why it works. And that is, she's not just jumping on to a call and presenting copy and saying, okay, you know, what do you think about this? And, and that um, review process starts right there. She's actually set the stage with the Loom video, giving an overview of her thinking of what she's doing, and she's providing them with notes. And so, you know, to go back to what we were talking about before, if live editing is something that you think, oh, maybe I could do that in my business, or that doesn't scare me, that's maybe, or, or even if it's, if you've reacted like Grace and I, uh, you know, it's, it's the thing that just like makes me want to break out in hives. Maybe there's a process that could actually make it workable if that's something you want to try. Yeah. And again, it goes back to process. I think that Erin is a master of having process in everything that she's doing and what she was talking about. Okay. On even this whole website in a week package that she has, and she knows exactly what's happening each day. And then she's able to, have this repeatable thing that she can improve every time too. It it really sets her up for success and to be able to deliver something every single time that's awesome and that really pleases the client. Yeah, I agree. It's the the process makes that work. I, I'm tempted to hire Erin just to see how she does that whole live edit thing and and uh, how it all comes together. Yeah, absolutely. It would be really cool to see how she does it. Sure. Also, Aaron talked a lot about being visible on social media. This is something that, uh, at least personally, I struggle with. We've got some great help at the Copywriter Club. You know, Gabby on our team helps with a lot of that stuff. Uh, not really my thing, but you know, being there is pretty. You know, it, it has had an impact on Aaron's business, especially how she shows up in Facebook groups and offers to help and, and uses that to make connections. What do you think about that? Yeah, exactly. I I can understand that it's it's not only time consuming, it's also a little scary to put yourself out there. But it does make a difference and it really the beautiful thing about social media is that you can get your eyes or get your posts seen by hundreds of people, potentially thousands of people. Um but yeah, it it does it is a little scary to put yourself out there. I can understand. 
for sure. I'm not really big on the whole video on social media, but uh, Gabby convinced me that I should do a reel and I did a reel and I was shocked how many people saw it and commented. Uh, maybe, maybe you'll see Robin the reels in the future. We'll see uh, how it all comes together. <laughs> yeah. I like the new social media plan for Instagram for copywriter club. Get Rob on reels more. That's the whole yeah, plan, right? There we go. I love it. You know, that's all that, that's all that they need. Yeah. So Erin uh, also talked about building her group program. Womp Womp to Wow is what it's called. And this seems to be something that a lot of copywriters are doing, not just for other copywriters, but to help their niche make progress as well, because there's so many people in the industries that we work in that can't necessarily pay for a copywriter to go through every single page of the website or, you know, produce all of the emails that need to be built in a business. And so helping business owners do some of this stuff with programs, you know, like how to write your website and presenting a framework and all of the tools to help them do that. Um, I think it's a really smart way to diversify our businesses a little bit. And you've actually been working on some group programs too. Yeah, there's something cooking up there. It's uh, taking a little bit longer than expected, but it's, I think group programs are really interesting, especially now that I've kind of gone through a couple of them to you not only build, you build relationships, but you also are more motivated and there's more accountability to go through it. You know, I'm someone I've paid for a lot of courses that I never finished. And it, it's not just me. I, you know, at one point I wrote some copy for an uh, online course company that also does group programs, but because the reason they did group programs was because something like only 30% of people who buy a course or an on-demand course actually finish it. Um, which is why I think that there's a big growing appeal for group, group programs in general. Um, it's also more fun. It's more fun to connect with other people as well and to go through an experience together. Yeah, we definitely believe in, in programs versus courses and maybe programs, not the right word, but you know, we've structured the accelerator so that people are going through with a cohort of other people. You start to f uh, foster those connections with you know, the peers that are in there, you built and you build a network and it's not just about watching videos. And I mean, you said 30% of, of people don't finish. I've heard numbers as low as like 4% finish. You know, it's maybe you're right. Maybe it was something closer to 3% actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's crazy, crazy low. And I, it's obviously one of the big problems in the course world or whatever. And so, you know, figuring out a program that helps people actually make progress is huge. I really admire Aaron for doing that. And I know that's one of the things that you've been thinking about. I've seen a, a preview of what you're starting to build. And whenever it's ready uh, for the world to see, it's definitely worth checking out because you definitely know your stuff and you, you bring it to the table and can help people make have success. And um, so anyway, if, if somebody's listening and thinking, yeah, I want to uh, add a course, think about how you can make sure that that interaction happens and that people are able to make those connections because, uh, you know, selling something that people don't finish is, is, um, I mean, it's not, it's certainly not unethical because, you know, people have a right to not finish things that they buy, but we should be selling the kinds of products that people want to finish and, uh, you know, make the time to add those skills to their skill sets. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's just an added bonus, right? If you can also say, Hey, you have this whole community and it's not just a Facebook group, but it's really an intimate connection group programs too. It's, it's just more fun too. And it's an added bonus for your the people who are going through the program, if you can say, Hey, I have this, you'll, you'll also be part of this community and it's going to be tight knit. It's not going to be some Facebook group with 
10,000 people in it, um, it's, it's an added value that you can then use also to justify a slightly higher price um, if that's what you want for your business. Yeah, I, yeah, for sure. It, and it's worth the extra price when you can deliver that added benefit. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So let's also talk a little bit about boundaries. Uh, and Erin mentioned, you know, some of the boundaries that she's had to build up. Uh, I think boundaries have been a huge struggle for everybody for the last two years, just because of the disruptions, people working from home, people, you know, um, not just kids, but partners and pets and all of uh, the things, disruptions to business. Uh, some business people, because we are working from home or maybe thinking that they can approach their copywriters and other vendors in more casual ways. And I, I just think it's worth emphasizing that establishing really clear boundaries and being okay to say no to things, uh, especially business things, in order to say yes to you know personal things, family, whatever it is, is part of being a successful business owner. And we all need to give ourselves permission to do that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's really, really hard, especially, you know, if you're only working from home and if you, yeah, you work and play are in the same area. And especially I think over the last two years, as there's been shutdowns and, it's, you know, you think, okay, well, what else do I have to do besides work? I mean, if you don't have kids, but it's also just healthy. It's really healthy as a business owner. And as a writer, you really need to make time for your brain to breathe. And if you don't make that time, if you don't make that time, then your work also suffers as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, anything else that stood out to you, Grace, from this last half of the uh, interview? Something else that did stand out to me that I thought was really interesting hearing how Aaron went about doing it was kind of the almost the product marketing approach that she's been taking both in terms of her course and then in terms of her lead gen um the ebook that she wrote for her lead gen where she was saying that she put it on link for the the lead gen thing she put it on linkedin and said hey i'm thinking about writing this is anybody interested in it and she hadn't even written the lead magnet at that point and she was so she was able to gauge the amount of response and see whether it was worth her time. And you know that was something that came from the think tank retreat with Chris Orzakowski. And I think it's a brilliant idea to yeah, because otherwise you waste a lot of time putting you invest a lot of time into building something, and then you aren't quite sure if people actually want it. So I thought that that was really interesting how she approached that. Yeah, I did too. When she did that and she, you know, announced it on LinkedIn, I think like within a day, she had something like 50 or 60 people who had commented and said, you know, I, this sounds like something I want, which is fantastic. And like you said, Chris actually mentioned that as one of the things uh, that you can do, you know, to generate leads and to attract people to a newsletter, to uh, an email list, that kind of thing. And I know there were a few people who tried it, but Aaron had a, a ton of success as far as that initial response. And then a few weeks later fulfilled the, those requests. And so now she's engaged with 50 to 60 potential clients that are all interested in this thing. She's actually started a conversation. It's so much better than just saying, oh, I have a lead magnet, come here and, and download it. Um, you know, there's, there's just activity happening around it. So I like that. And thank you for pointing that out. I think Aaron's ethos of being a service provider and being proactive and actively trying to help people, this goes back into her overall MO, right? And that, that she's really good at trying to actively help people. And you can see that in her work and you can also see that in her business. 
That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you liked what you've heard, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with someone you know who will like it. And if you need a couple more episodes to put into your podcast app, Aaron mentioned Chris Orzakowski a couple of times. We interviewed Chris on the podcast twice, once in episode 112 and again in episode 259. Be sure to check those out. Also check out episode 154 about improving your research process with Hannah Samji and episode 262, which is all about filling your lead pipeline with Jacob Sukow. Thanks for listening and an extra thanks to Grace for helping me with the commentary on this episode and we will see you next week. Thanks, Rob. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club yeah, can make you lots of money.